Welcome to another episode of Lawyers for Immigrants with your host, Ife He, president of the law office of Ife He, where they are dedicated to helping immigrants and new Americans. In every episode, Ife interviews attorneys across different practice areas and asks them how they are helping immigrants. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and at www.ifeheedlaw.com. Now here's the host of Lawyers for Immigrants, Ife He. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Ife He, where we put the grant in immigrants. On every episode, I interview non-immigration attorneys and ask them how their practice helps immigrants. And today, my guest is Ethan Gans, the president of the law office of Ethan Gans. Ethan is a, speci- is a specialist and a practitioner in bankruptcy law, and he's been practicing for over 20 years. I'm happy to have him on my show. So, Ethan, welcome to my show. Thanks for having me, Ife. Uh, so, Ethan, tell us about your practice. Yeah, so I have I've had my I've been practicing as you said for actually 21 plus years now, and I've had my own practice uh, for the last 11 years. Uh, my primary practice area is indeed uh, bankruptcy and creditors' rights, um, but I am have a general business practice primarily where I uh, also work with uh, general business advisory, uh, primarily working with small and mid-sized businesses from startup to wind down, which is where the bankruptcy part comes in, uh, as well as commercial litigation. But again, um, bankruptcy has been my, is my longest uh, practice area, which I've been doing from the beginning of my practice and uh, remains the largest part of my practice. Great. So can you define what bankruptcy is in layman's terms? Yes. So very simply put, bankruptcy is a legal framework for addressing debt in a, uh, and it allows the, the debt to be addressed in a, in a uniform manner. Mm-hmm. I see. So in terms of how an individual would claim bankruptcy, what are situations when that would happen? Well, let, you know, let me, let me, let me actually throw in, throw in one other thing that maybe a lot of people probably don't know, which is that when I say it's uniform, the bankruptcy laws are federal laws and they are uniform throughout the United States. And that's uh, a direct consequence of the U S constitution. It's a lot of people don't know that um, article one of the U S constitution says that Congress shall have the power to set uniform bankruptcy laws. And there was in fact, just recently a uh, just this last week, a Supreme court decision having to dealing with the issue of uniformity of bankruptcy laws. Um, but your question was about how do you file for bankruptcy? Yeah, in what circumstances would an individual such as myself encounter bankruptcy? Because it's not something that we typically think of when going through the day-to-day or even dealing with the law. Right. Well, bankruptcy comes up for individuals in uh, in a number of contexts. And first of all, again, I work I work a lot with businesses and therefore small business owners. And um, so I'm often dealing with people who have businesses that may be uh, struggling or may have gone out of business and they have residual debt from the business because a lot of small business owners, which of course includes many in the immigrant community, um, have 
smaller businesses. And uh, in order to get any kind of credit in terms of loans, and oftentimes if they're signing a commercial lease, the principals, in other words, the owners of the business, are being asked to sign a personal guarantee, which is a contract which by which they're saying they individually are responsible for the, the specific debts of the corporation or the business. And so oftentimes these, these numbers will be very large if the business has gone under or if it's struggling. And to avoid personal liability, oftentimes uh, the principals will be forced or will decide that they want to file for bankruptcy. So that's one very common situation that I see quite a bit in my practice. And then, of course, you have just regular uh, people who have uh, cons consumer debts that may have gotten out of hand or they may have experienced some kind of illness in the family where somebody couldn't work and the debts have gotten out of control and they're looking for a way to address those debts one way or the other. And um, we can get into in a little more detail what some of the different options are, but um, I'll leave it at that for now. Okay, so just to summarize what you just said, most of the bankruptcy that you represent is for small businesses. Um, yes. Yes, I yes, I I, I, I I primarily although although I do although I do work with debtors who have consumer debt, um, my my particular area of um, expertise is working with uh, businesses who are in distressed situations. And I will also I, I should also add just for the just for the record that many times people will come to me. Um, there there's a common misconception that bankruptcy is a cure-all in all situations. And there may be situations where some kind of non-bankruptcy alternative is, is one that I counsel instead. I see. So, but you did represent that a lot of your clients who are small business owners uh, are immigrants. So can you tell me more about the representation of these people? Sure. Well, no, number one, what I'll say is, of, of course, the representation is the same as it would be for any other client. But one thing also that people don't tend to know is that bankruptcy is available to anyone who has um, who has a presence in the United States. You don't have to be a U.S. citizen to be qualified to file for bankruptcy as an individual. And in fact, um, I represented many people who are who are merely green card holders, but who are living and working in the United States and have debts that have accrued in the United States that they need to address. I see. So what is like the main difference between representing someone who's a U.S. citizen versus someone who's a non-citizen in terms of bankruptcy law? There is there is absolutely no difference. Again, the, the laws are uniform and assuming that the person is eligible uh, and everybody's eligible for some kind, but assuming that the person can do what he or she wants to do uh, in terms of a bankruptcy option. It's ap it's exactly the same whether you're a green card holder, whether you're a citizen. Um, and frankly, even for undocumented immigrants, I mean that bankruptcy filing could pose other problems. But in terms of eligibility and and the process itself, it, it makes absolutely no difference, uh, regardless of a person's immigration status. So what kind of problems might an undocumented individual face when filing for bankruptcy? Well, an undocumented individual, um, bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy 
The quid pro quo for filing for bankruptcy is that there's a lot of disclosure of the, in this case, we're talking about individual and individuals, uh, assets, liabilities, financial situation, financial past, um, and among other things, um, there is there is documentation that has to be provided, including tax returns and social security numbers. So um, proof of social security numbers. So in the event somebody was undocumented and doesn't have a social security number for obvious reasons, that's that's going to pose a challenge for them. So are they still eligible for bankruptcy even if they don't have a social security number? Um, they are. They they are they are technically eligible, um, but uh, I believe it could be problematic. Uh, what kind of problems do you see someone encountering if the the business is just struggling? They can't they can't keep on. Um, they might have been employing ten U.S. workers, but they're undocumented, so and their business is losing too much money. And, well, of course, you know the the. Uh, what we're talking about here is an individual bankruptcy, and there may be there may be options for for the business itself. If the business is um, a separate legal entity that's formed in the United States, that could that could potentially uh, file. Depending on the circumstances, that might potentially be a business that files for bankruptcy. I mean, we're, we we need to we need to differentiate. Bankruptcy is an option uh, that that is available both for individuals uh, and for businesses. Uh, and so, depending on the circumstances, it may be that the business can file and and not the individual. I see. And what are the benefits of filing for bankruptcy? So the most immediate benefit is that as soon as you file for bankruptcy, an automatic stay goes into effect. And what that means is, as the name suggests, automatically, there's no court order required. As soon as the bankruptcy petition is filed and you get confirmation the bankruptcy is filed, uh, no creditor can take any action to collect upon debt that arose prior to the bankruptcy filing. So if there are lawsuits, they stop uh, any kind of demands. There's, there, you can do absolutely nothing until that debt is addressed in some way uh, through the bankruptcy proceeding or the bankruptcy proceeding at some point ends. Um, if, if, if the debt is one that survives a bankruptcy, and that's something we can talk about in, at another time too, um, but that's the main power of bankruptcy. And again, what bankruptcy, there are, there are two for, let, let me just, because we're talking about some things where I haven't really gotten into the two options available for individuals, um, or the two major options. One is chapter seven, which is a liquidation proceeding. And in that, in that it's a much simpler, it's a much simpler, um, proceeding, uh, in that there's no there's no repayment of any debts. There are if the debtor has certain assets that are outside, that are within the reach of creditors. Rather, um, there's a third party called the trustee whose job it is to determine whether there are any assets. If there are, to liquidate them for the benefit of creditors and to distribute those assets in accordance with um, the priorities in the bankruptcy code. Because not all not all debts are created equal. Um, but there's no re there's no repayment plan, and not all and not all assets are subject to uh, liquidation and distribution by trustee. There are a number of assets, basic assets that are protected um, 
by operation of law, and I'll get in, I can get into that in a second. The uh, but let me talk about the second kind of bankruptcy, which is a repayment plan uh, known as Chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a wage earner's repayment plan, and basically I'm oversimplifying a little bit for purposes of this conversation, but basically what happens is you have uh, you, the debtor, the, the entity that files for bankruptcy, proposes a plan, and you say, I'm going to pay my excess monthly income. Uh, it's for either, depending on where your income, what your income is, if it's below median it's a three-year plan, or if it's above median, it's a five-year plan. But either three years or five years, you pay your uh, excess monthly income into a plan, and after you make all those payments, then your debts get uh, then your debt says discharged, which means forgiven. I see. So, how do you know which one to file? Seven, thirteen. There's also eleven, I believe. So what? Yeah. If so well, yeah. So. 11, you see mostly in the context of businesses. Um, it, it's also, it's a reorganization typically, um, but it's much more complex and uh, therefore much more costly. Now, individuals are eligible to file for Chapter 11 and um, there, is a, there is a debt limit for Chapter 13s. Um, it's about, it's actually, there's just some new legislation hasn't been signed, uh, I mean, literally yesterday, uh, that was just passed by the House that's going to change uh, the debt limits. But um, assuming President Biden signs it, and I have no reason to believe that he won't, there will be a um, there will be just a regular two point, I think, two point seven five million dollar uh, threshold. There's right now there's a distinction between how much unsecured debt you have and how much secured debt you have. It's just going to be a flat ceiling that says if you have less than this amount of money uh, or this sorry this amount of debt then you're eligible to file and so if you have more then let's just let's just assume it's going to get uh signed into law if you have more than the 2.75 million dollars in um debt you wouldn't be eligible to file for chapter 13 and you'd instead have to file for chapter 11 but individual chapter 11s are for most people are fair are fairly rare I see. So, again, I mean, if you're an immigrant, you don't know about your laws or you don't know your rights. How do you know which chapters to file under? Well, well that's that that that's where that's where speaking to an attorney who who can advise you on what the benefits are and your eligibility to file for the different options are uh, comes in, um, because just because you're eligible for one versus the other. Um, doesn't mean that one is necessarily in the, your circumstances going to make more sense versus the other. Um, let me give you a let me give you a good a good example. Um, chapter thirteen is great for people who have uh, mortgage arrears, manageable ones, uh, or arrears on some other kind of contract, like could be a home lease, a car lease, or something like that. Because Chapter 13 allows them, as long as they continue to make the regular monthly contractual payments, they can pay the arrears over the life of the plan. So remember how I said that a plan is three years or five years? Mm -hmm. So let's just say you have a car lease and you didn't make a couple of payments. And let's just say I'm making up numbers. Um, you're $5,000 behind uh, in your car lease. Now, normally, uh, under the terms of the contract, 
that is likely going to mean that you're in default and they can uh, accelerate the lease, which means they can say all the money is due now and you have to pay it all um, or something like that. Um, in a chapter 13, you can, notwithstanding what the contract says, you can say, you know what, I'm going to continue to pay my monthly payments of, again, I make up a number, $250. And the $5,000 that I'm in arrears, I'm going to pay it off over the life of the plan. Let's say it's a three-year plan over the over the three years. And it's going to get paid in increments as part of the, as part of the payments that are made uh, under the plan. And um, at the end, assuming that all these payments are made, you force the creditor to accept that that catch up, and there's nothing there's nothing the creditor can do as long as you meet all the requirements of confirmation for a Chapter 13 plan. It's very it's very powerful, and again, it can be used um, it can be used with mortgages too. Obviously, if the number is the number is too big, um, that can that can be problematic because you have to be able to pay it off in either three or five years. But for smaller arrears it can be it can be very powerful um similarly if you have a contract that you don't that you don't want um both chapter 7 and chapter 13 allow, can allow you to reject the contract even though normally the contract says you know you can't cancel it um and whatever monies are due are still due but they would get lumped they would get lumped into general unsecured claims that either um in a chapter 7 plan may not get any distribution at all or in a Chapter 13 plan, will get whatever distributions they get based on payments under the plan. Um, but if there's a, a lease that you really think is burdensome to you, um, bankruptcy can be can be a very good and very good option for you. Okay, so I mean, assuming for the perspective of an, of an immigrant who don't have connections to the U.S. and who don't plan on staying to pay them their debts. Wouldn't Chapter 7 make more sense if, for example, they had a business here and the business is actually making money, but then they're just trying to wind down the business? So in that case, there would there'd be complete business liquidation. There would be no repayment plan. So basically, they just divide up the business to pay off the creditors. Wouldn't that be the most um, applicable chapter for bankruptcies for immigrant business owners? Well, so ch Chapter 7, depending on the nature of the debt, um, Chapter seven is subject. There are eligibility requirements. Now, if the if the debt is if the person's debt is primarily business debt, there is no there's no eligibility requirement. Um, and so if this hypothetical immigrant doesn't really have any property in the United States or really or sorry, anywhere doesn't have any property, uh, then chapter seven is, cer is certainly the easier way. But, you know, this is this is a, something that's decided uh, on a case by case basis, depending on what the liabilities are, what the assets are and what the issues are that the, that the person or persons are trying to address. And I should also just say that in terms of in terms of bankruptcy, um, married couples can but are not obligated to file to file jointly. So if you have you have a, a couple that um, that shares debt, uh, they can they can both decide to file. But equally, if you have a couple where one spouse has all the debt and the other, for whatever reason, doesn't want to file, it's not it, it's it's not uh, it's not it's not an obligation. 
that the other that the non that the spouse doesn't owe any money file. But there, you know, there in most situations, people more often than not, spouses tend to share some amount of debt. Um, but again, it's all going to depend on the the facts and circumstances of the case. It's, it's very hard to to answer certain questions in a vacuum just because all of these answers are very fact-specific. Right, right. No, definitely. If, if someone wants to file for bankruptcy, uh, they should definitely consult with an attorney It's just picking something out of the... Yes, or... yes. And, 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 and Yif, I, I, I do want to say that there are, there is also this misconception out there that bankruptcy is just a question of filling out some forms and it's very easy and you can do and you can do it without a lawyer it's a that's that's a a recipe for disaster and it's it can be a, a major trap for the unwary okay and what kind of traps have you seen uh, what kind of consequences have people faced from diy like legal zoom um i i i can i can tell you one that one that sticks in my mind um very very clearly and um this actually it so happens um had to do um with with an with an an, an immigrant an immigrant family um one of them they they owned a it happened to be a um a chinese restaurant and um the restaurant, uh, the restaurant failed, and so one of the one of the owners filed for Chapter Seven himself. And as I said, in Chapter Seven, what happens is there is a third party who's called the Chapter Seven trustee, and it's that the Chapter Seven trustee's job is to see if there are any non-exempt assets, uh, if the person owns anything that's outside the reach of that is within the reach of creditors, rather, um, and if so, to, to liquidate that and distribute it as i said before now that inc I mean, includes obvious things like money or or money above a certain amount and you know any kind of tangible assets but there are causes of action that arise under the bankruptcy code or under state law um that can that the trustee has a right to assert in a bankruptcy case and one of the major cause of action, uh, and this this ex exists under state law, but under state law, creditors have to bring action, um, are what are called fraudulent transfers. And I'm oversimplifying for purposes of this conversation. They're actually um, known now uh, under state law as voidable transactions, but the concept is the same. Um, transfers of assets without adequate consideration, in other words, for less than fair market value, Within a certain period of time, under state law, it's four years prior to the bankruptcy, and under bankruptcy law, it's two years prior. Um, so, in other words, if a person, let's say, transfers, uh, let me give you a more concrete example, just rather than say person. So, let's say I let's say I own um, let's say I own a business in in my own name, uh, and I and I have a and I have a company car. And I see that my finances or the businesses, my finances, the business finances are not good and their creditors knocking down, knocking at my door. And I have some assets. Let's just say I have a company car. Um, I don't want the creditors to get the company car. So I call, I call a friend and I say, I will, 
sell you the company car for $20 so that when I file for bankruptcy or when I have financial problems, it's not going to be in my name. So I sell my friend the car for $20. So assuming that happens within the, the applicable look back period, um, the trustee can come and say, hey, wait, to my friend, you have, you have to give back the car or the value of the car because the car was worth the car was worth more than $20. So you got, you have to give back either the value of the car or the amount of money that you got over and above what was, what was paid for. Let's just say the car's worth $10,000. Um, and so um, trustees, now that's a very concrete example, but trustees are going to look at, going to look at, they're going to look at compensation. They're going to look at all these sorts of things. And even if nothing winds up being a problem, um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny of the individual. And in this case, um, the individual just filed and um, there was a transfer that was, I mean, that looked questionable to the trustee. He thought that it might be a fraudulent transfer. And so he sued, he sued, the, he sued the guy and, um, and I wound up having to represent him. He, again, he didn't. He didn't hire a lawyer going into it. And the lawyer, a, a lawyer would have told him, assuming he had disclosed it to the lawyer, this is a potential problem, and so maybe you want to wait, or maybe you want to think about doing something else. Um, he wound up having to spend a lot of money defending himself in a lawsuit that was brought against him, uh, as well as other other parties who had received the transfer. Well. Um... That's so, you know, so and so just to finish the thought, it can wind up costing you. It's the it's it's a typical example of penny wise pound foolish where you think you're saving yourself a few bucks by not hiring a lawyer in the beginning. Um, and he, you know, he spent he spent he had, first of all, many more headaches. And I can tell you, he spent spent a lot more money uh, on the other end of things that perhaps he could have avoided had he had he sought counsel before beforehand i see well i mean as you can understand a lot of individuals when they're seeking bankruptcy don't have a lot of financial resources so it's very difficult for them to actually proactively seek help try to get a lawyer who they might not even be able to afford so what do you do how do you solve the problem between the access to justice gap well so mo understand that most listen a lawyer, a lawyer has to, a lawyer has to get paid for his work. There's, there's no, there's no two ways about that. But obviously, there are, um, in a in a bankruptcy situation, either in seven or thirteen, um, these are typically done on a flat fee basis, uh, for the very reasons that you said that people don't have the funds. And one of the other things is that in a chapter thirteen. Um, a portion of the fee, unlike in a seven where the fee has to be paid in advance because otherwise it will get discharged as well, um, in, a, in a 13, uh, a portion of the fee can be paid through through the plan as well. So in other words, the monthly payments that are made under the plan, which are, which are distributed to creditors, as I've said before, in order of their priority, um, the lawyer can also the lawyer can also be a creditor, and the lawyer is a priority creditor. So the lawyer will get paid whatever the agreed upon portion is over the course of the plan. So sometimes um, there are people who, if they can't afford 
for example, if they can't afford a chapter seven, they will sometimes do a chapter 13, although that's, that's, that's not a strategy that I, that I like to employ, but I, I know that that's done sometimes for people who are really in um, an extreme situation. Um, but un understand that um, if the situation is really dire, cha chapter sevens tend not, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're not as expensive as you might think. Right, right. No, it's always good to not be penny-wise and pound-foolish. And right. in that case where you mentioned where the Chinese restaurant actually did it themselves and they got sued later for making mistakes, it would have been far wiser for them to have consulted with the lawyer, at least for initial consultation, as opposed to having to chain them for a whole bankruptcy filing. Instead of just trying to do it them themselves and getting without, sued. Without, without question. It was a... It was a um, it was it was a big mistake, and that I mean, really, that's that's the biggest cautionary tale. Um, and you know, fortunately, it, at the end of the day, it it turned it turned out it turned out okay for this guy. Um, but what what he thought was going to be a very simple process was was I mean, it, this literally uh, was litigation, and it, and it is litigation just so just so that we're clear, i.e. A lawsuit filed in the federal court. Um, the the litigation took years to years to years to be resolved. Right, and not many people know this, but you can also face potential federal criminal charges. There are yes, there are there are criminal because you bankruptcy requires. Um, full and complete disclosure of assets and liabilities. Um, there have been you know, some prominent people. Um, a lot of people have heard of the, um, one of the house uh, housewives of New Jersey, uh, Teresa Judas. She and her husband were both um, convicted of, of bankruptcy fraud, or her husband at least. I don't know if she filed for bankruptcy, but the point is, they didn't disclose certain assets in in a bankruptcy filing, and that's that's a big that's a big no no. Um, there are a lot of benefits from filing for bankruptcy, but again, the quid pro quo is that you have to be completely truthful and honest, um, and you will you will be asked you will be asked questions. Some of them, you know, some of them may be un uncomfortable, and you will have to disclose. Uh, your financial situation to the to the world, and these are publicly available documents. Okay, well, thank you a lot, Ethan, for appearing on this show. As everyone can readily see, Ethan is very knowledgeable about bankruptcy law, so I encourage all our listeners to reach out to him if they have any questions about bankruptcy law or if they have a troubled business. And so, yes, be sure to check our show out next time, uh, available on all major streaming platforms. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Lawyers for Immigrants with your host, Ife He. You can find prior episodes on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and at www.ifehelaw.com. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others.